a lot of the people that read about containers, they read the theoretical material. The developers now control the entire stack. Security is probably one of the most important things about software. And, you know, developers can make mistakes. How do you make sure that everything is compliant and is as safe as possible? You'd rather know about a vulnerability as you check in your container or your code rather than wait for it to happen in production. What's more important is the revolution of how software is built and who's building it. Today's tools were not built for the CI-CD world. Hi, I'm Guy Pojarni, CEO and co-founder of Sneak. And you're listening to The Secure Developer, a podcast about security for developers, covering security tools and practices you can and should adopt into your development workflow. The Secure Developer is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybeats.com. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you would like to suggest a topic for us to discuss, find us on Twitter at TheSecureDev. So hi, everybody, and welcome back to The Secure Developer. Here today with us, we've got Ben Bernstein from Twistlock. Thanks for coming on the show, Ben. Oh, Thank you for inviting me. I think maybe before we dig in and start talking about all sorts of things, container security and microservice security and the likes, maybe Ben, do you want to give a quick intro to yourself, your background, you know, what do you do? Uh, sure, I've actually been developer throughout most of my career in Microsoft from all places, working on different uh, security suites and uh, the OS security of Windows. And uh, recently, me and another friend, we started Twistlock, which had to do with about the change that is happening in the world of developers and how it actually affects the security world. And this is how Twistlock came into being. Cool, yeah, and I think the container security space is hot and new, but also entirely imperative to the adoption of containers, which is growing probably faster than the security controls on it are. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And uh, for us, it's uh, really an opportunity. And we were pretty amazed with uh, the reception of the concept that you just outlined, yeah. Yeah. So I guess maybe to to level set a little bit, right? We're talking containers and security, right? This is probably going to be a theme this episode. Can you give us a bit of a of a baseline about what should you care about, what should you think about when you think about security aspects of containers? So it's really interesting because a lot of the people that read about containers, they read the theoretical material, they come to the conclusion that the most fundamental issue about containers is whether they're as secure as VMs or not and whether you lose something between moving from VMs to containers. But that's not what I've seen in, in practice in all the customers that, that actually, and organizations that move to containers, and um, especially the enterprise one. And, and you must remember that the core thing about containers is the detachment of, of software from the actual physical or now virtual machine. So the, the interesting thing is, is not whether they're as secure as VMs, but rather how you could control the the mass and the empowerment of developers to do so many things. The developers now control the you know the entire stack, and just like with everything else in life, you need another uh, safety measure, right? I mean, security is probably the most important thing, or one of the most important things about software. And you know, developers can make mistakes. How do you make sure that everything is compliant and is as safe as possible? In the past, you had IT people; it will be their safety belt. Now you need uh, sort of something else to help them. Yeah, I guess the location of where some of these decisions are made change, right? And the hopefully 
outdated but still probably very much alive in certain systems world where in order to run something you would have to ask infosec to provision a server or ask IT to provision a server and that would require an infosec ins- inspection then you know it's not a great world in many ways but uh, in that world at least there is that security inspection that just completely disappears in the world where you know as a developer you put in a docker file and voila, you know, the entire operating system just got stood up. Absolutely. And and here lies also the opportunity because when you think about it, as a developer, you'd probably not want to wait until the IT person knocks down uh, your door and says, like, what the hell you just did. What you'd like to do is to use the CI CD tools in order to push things into some staging mechanism or something that reviews it and pushes back to you if there's any issue. And that's actually really a a good opportunity for you as a developer to get the feedback right away. And so, you know, in the past, a lot of things that used to be issues would only be discovered very late in the process, and then you have to you know, you had to find out which developer did what and why. And here, once you do something that is wrong, this is an opportunity to actually push back things. But just like you said, you have to choose a different location to to do these things. And the CI/CD tools would be probably the best location to give feedback to the developers about anything you can do, because. For example, vulnerabilities. You'd rather know about a vulnerability as you check in your container or your code rather than wait for it to happen in production and it being picked up by some um, some mechanism. So always closer to the developers, always have and always will make more sense. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that perspective. I think containers sort of do two or three things in the process. You know, one is the is the technical one, which as you pointed out is not that important around the fact that you know technically your operating system is going to run under or within a container versus within a VM and there was a lot of conversation in container security world earlier on about you know was really was just shortcomings in the docker engine and you know some of those are still there but you know, they're they're less interesting about whether you know a container is isolated or not they're interesting today but like long term they're a secondary what's more important is the is the revolution of how software is built and who's building it right so maybe sort of splitting those in two a little bit there's the technical aspect of it you mentioned right now right the or it's not that technical but it's around how is the software being built it's now built as part of a ci cd process and maybe we lost some security gate that we had before in asking the infosec person whether they can do it, but we've just gained access into this CI/CD world and this opportunity to run tests early on. So I guess we can have the whole thing be a net negative in terms of security if we don't capitalize on that opportunity, or we can turn it into an advantage if we do tap into it. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, it almost goes back to the question of tests and a lot of the other stuff. And you can look at some of the companies who have been doing it right, like Netflix and Google, and the way they did their CI CD and the way they did their staging and their, uh, you know, chaos monkeys and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, just trying to figure out about things as early as possible and doing it in an automated way is really important. So you, you must sort of, uh, Develop new tools that don't exist today that that enable you to do all of that because today's tools were not built for the CI/CD world. They were not built in order for the security people to set the policy and then uh, for that policy to be enforced in a dev-friendly way. So, you know, when when you're thinking about how you're gonna build your dev to production environment, this is definitely something that you want to keep in mind. 
Yeah, and I think the the notion of how security tools were built for security audits more so than any sort of continuous testing is it's a bit of a recurring theme in in the show here. We've had had it come up several times because you know the tools were built for the present in which they're being used, and in fact, even today's present, right? The majority of security controls today happen outside of the container world and the continuous world. That's increasingly changing, but that's that's still the case. So you need tools that focus on the use case of of building in that CI CD, again capitalizing on an opportunity because you just you just lost something, you know, but you gained something all that much powerful if only you had sort of the tools to take action there. Absolutely. Honestly, this is almost half the story. The other half is actually the fact that containers in themselves, the fact that they're uh, minimalistic, the fact that they're immutable, the fact that uh, they're more declarative, even let you eventually get to a situation where at runtime you could get to even better indication of compromise and anomalies and better baselining based on machine learning and a lot of the good things that security is about but it's not the i guess it doesn't have to do with the developer space but i'm just saying because developers move to this you actually get more information and you're able to protect them better at runtime so not only do you get better feedback to the developers eventually the security pros would also find this system more useful so it's sort of a win-win Right. In this case, I think I would say that containers are just uh, one manifestation of infrastructure as code. And infrastructure as code as a whole implies predictable hardware or predictable deployments, you know, to, you know, again, barring bugs. But it's predictable deployments and therefore you can go on and you can check check controls. Netflix actually have, I think it's called the conformity monkey uh, as part of their CMN army, which goes off and lets you deploy stuff. I think as is, I'm not sure if the conformity monkey is a gate or not, but then it goes off and it randomly finds systems and it just checks to see whether they conform to what they should be conforming. So developers can go on and do whatever they please, but they may be caught if they've done something wrong by the conformity monkey. You know, Again, giving them sometimes an opportunity, but also showing them the responsibility that they, uh, they need to address that. And you know, tool, tools of that nature, they don't have to be containers, but they have to be in that context of infrastructure as code. Absolutely. I actually had an interesting discussion with one of uh, the people in Netflix, and they mentioned to me that they even have a new monkey that tests uh, access control. So you don't typically think about that, but um, developers now have a not only the power to create code and to create the entire stack, but there are some things that typically were taken care of by the IT people, and suddenly developers you know, have full control over it and you suddenly don't have the extra safety belt and uh, one of which is identity and and how much privileges does your services have because you as a developer y- and you're testing in some environment you might create some kind of uh, authentication and authorization policy which is good for your environment but maybe it's not good enough for production so they actually have this monkey that tests least privileged user and, and that's really, it's interesting that they came to this conclusion so early because this is, you know, they did it based on practice because they saw that developers sometimes make mistakes, and you need some kind of, uh, again, staging tools, uh, monkeys, <laughs> to sort of check whether they did everything correctly or not. So uh, I guess um, trying to enumerate a few examples just to sort of give people some some things to tee up. You're using, let's even focus on containers, right, as opposed to the the broader concept of infrastructure as code. You need to test for. Something have some security controls as part of your CI/CD process. We we touched on 
two examples here. You can look for vulnerable artifacts in 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 those containers you're deploying, and the notion of sort of least privileged users. So you can audit probably the the user that systems are running with. What other examples do you encounter? What type of, of or, or you think that people should do? Sure. So you know the most common one or the most basic one would be a golden VM that used to be sort of a way for uh, IT people to force certain OS hardening rules. And so anything you could imagine about OS hardening. Uh, Simple example would be there shall be no SSH daemon in production, right? I mean, that's just one example. But mm-hmm. anything that you'd expect the base OS to have, anything that, when, when I say base OS, I'm just thinking about the user mode, right? Because the kernel, you know, the Linux kernels is shared with the host, but still there's so much damage you can do by accidentally slipping something into the OS layer that's that's not protective. And then you, you basically need to make sure that it conforms to certain standards. Uh, and then you go to stuff like devices, right? You could write something that you know looks at some attached device for some reason. And as a security person, you probably want to limit these capabilities because just because you and in, in, um, in development, it made sense to you to attach this device, you probably don't want to attach any device in production, you know? So a lot of these slips that, that could happen need to be actually checked before something is being put into uh, production. On top of that, there's a whole, uh, some specific to containers, something called the sys benchmark, which have to do on whether in the container you defined a user or did not define a user, and it's based on which version of Docker you used and whether you used certain restriction or you didn't. So honestly, even like uh, the biggest experts could get something wrong. Not to mention just you know a standard user who's just trying to get around to writing a low world program and may not have restricted everything that should be restricted. So the CIS benchmark has about I think ninety different things that could go wrong, and you want to check for uh, ranging from the daemon configuration, the host configuration, the specific containers. So it's all over the place. It could be things that the developer did wrong. Or something that the DevOps or the IT person that set up the host on which the Docker is running has done wrong. Yeah, those are really useful. We can throw a link to them in the uh, in the show notes. The concept of enforcing or testing for some basically policy violations, right? Those uh, that sometimes sounds like a heavy concept, but in fact, it's actually very very straightforward to see that you're using the right operating system. And I can totally see that happening. In fact, I've sort of seen it happen even, you know, personally, <laughs> I have done it, which is, you know, when you're local and you create a Docker file or you create some environment, your bias is to get it to work. And the inclination is to just add things. And then by the time, the distance of time between the time you've just done that and you've made the decisions about whatever operating system, whatever whatever you installed on it, and the time in which you commit that and have that deployed, you know, there's a there's a lag there. And during that time you don't remember those decisions that you've made earlier on that you entirely intended to make temporary, except, you know, nothing nothing's more permanent than the temporary. So Absolutely. yes, those aren't really useful. And there's also um I came across this uh uh, interesting Docker file linter earlier on that does some of those components. We'll throw a, um, a link to that from the, the guys that replicated. So you go on, and you know these are our tools. Maybe this is the the technical side of the fence, right? The the tooling you can put and the audits or the checks that you can add as part of your CI/CD piece. I think the other part is the people piece because what also shifts in 
what you've described of the process is it's not just the tests that get run, it's also the people that run them that change. It's not the infosec person that does whatever inspection on, on the check, it's the developer that is adding a test to the CI that does the inspection. How have, have you seen that interact? You work with you know with all these companies, they're doing they're adding container security components. You know, what do you see works from the interaction between the people coming in with the security inputs and the developers or DevOps teams that need to apply them? So it's interesting because it's sort of bottom up. The whole approach to DevOps seems to revolve around smart people who own the dev space and then smart people who come from the ops space and they typically work together in order to create some kind of a legitimate infrastructure on which the entire organization can follow. And so um, the end result is that the SecOps people, uh, um, the security pros, they would like to set certain standards and have them being uh, applied across. And they need the DevOps people to actually implement all the mechanisms. Um, if you go back to how application security used to be in the older world, uh, in the VM world, you always had the security ops people working with the networking guys in order to put in all kind of IPS, IDS mechanisms. So it's almost the same to some extent. They work to, with the DevOps people, but here the DevOps people have a lot more responsibility because they're dealing with a lot of delicate uh, things such as the mm-hmm. development process, so they need to be very professional about it. The toolings, you know, all the tools are still new. There's a variety of things, so they need to be experts in that. And sometimes you get to a situation where you run into a security pro person who actually is so good that he learns about the development process, he learns about the CI/CD tools, and he's, he's, uh, you know, he's comfortable implementing some of these things himself, but uh, that's kind of uh, the exception rather than uh, the rule. Yeah, I think the maybe one delta between the network ops people and the DevOps people is just the pace of change. The network world did not change faster than the security world, or in fact, probably the other way around. While the development world, especially in the sort of continuous versions of it, changes very, very quickly. So to an extent, I think you're entirely right. I entirely agree with the importance of having the security team and the development team or the SecOps team and the DevOps team communicating. But I would also say that this is a case that resembles a little bit more DevOps, the sort of this uh, not not just blurring but entire elimination of the line almost between those components, where those teams work very very closely and very much hand in hand. DevOps did not eliminate ops teams or make all developers ops experts. There are still people within the majority of of companies that operate it that are predominantly dev or predominantly ops. It's just they're not a hundred percent anymore. They're five percent of the other thing or ten percent of the other thing. And either way, they're sort of a part of the same teams, cohorts, you know, goals, and and work together. Absolutely, and it it sort of even elevated the level of policies that the security people sort of put into the picture. Because in the past, you know, the security people used to be involved in every little thing that the developers did before they actually put it into production. Now it's no longer manageable because. The scale is so big, so it actually forces the security people to think about this meta policy. There, there should be no this, and everything should be that, and apply it because they can no longer go to every person who owns a microservice and ask him to describe in in ten pages what he's going to do, and then read these ten pages, and the next day he's going to change it slightly. And uh, so, actually, it, it sort of elevated their 
level of, of policy making and also require them to get to understand the DevOps space much better in order to understand what they can and cannot do. So I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, and you know that process has actually happened in the ops world, the notion of write it down and then write it down in code. Ops systems were also voodoo, sort of like you know the flow of actions you might do during a security audit. They were just in somebody's head or they were written in some outdated document. And then as systems and the deployment of those systems became more, more automated, and more touched, then those had to first of all be written down in code so that they'd be predictable and not go out of date because they represent what's on the system, and later on even be written down or edited by people that are not in ops. So I guess it's the same process that security needs to go through. Absolutely, and we're actually taking advantage of that, like you pointed out, when we get to to actually see what's running, you need to understand the full context. You need to understand the infrastructure that was there from the hardware all the way to all the way to the the actual uh, you know last bit of software configuration that you did. And like you, we said, you can't do it uh, on a manual basis. So actually, infrastructure as code is actually very helpful in the process of protecting uh, software all the way to runtime. So this is a blessing for the security world. So these are really good topics, and when we talk about containers, we talked about both the security implications within the containers, you know, thinking about what's in them and the fact that they get created differently. We talked about the opportunity to integrate testing and which tests you could do as part of the CI CD process and the people that run them. Maybe one sort of last topic we can touch on, which is also kind of top of mind for many people, is not the containers themselves, but rather the microservice environment. That they enable right containers as a tool or as an opportunity offered us the opportunity to now deploy many 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 different systems because it's that easy to to create them and to create lightweight versions of them uh, listening this new microservice environment right suddenly you have you know 100 servers or you know maybe 100 is a little extreme but 20 servers that perform the same action that a single server uh, would have had before that also introduces a whole bunch of security concerns no Yes, absolutely, uh, it does, and it goes back to our talk about the scale. And by the way, we've seen customers running it on on hundreds of hosts. Uh, we're all, and we we have some customers that plan to go to thousands. So absolutely, and you need to when thinking about security, like we just said, you need to take into account the whole stack, but you also need to sort of think about the scheduling of these microservices in different environment and on one hand understand the full stack which could mean different hosts on the other hand you need to understand the software piece the the specific container that you have and if there's an issue with it you want to flag it and say that this was the container it wasn't the the actual host so it has to do with how you analyze threats it has to do with how you report the threats and it has to do again with the fact that you need to do everything automatically so when uh, something comes in you need to analyze it automatically because there could be thousands of the same container or it could be thousand different ones some of which could go up for three seconds and go down and you'll never see them again so everything needs to be automated you need to think about scale and you need to think about the different pieces about the orchestration and about this new stack that it's not exactly just VMs and software which you run set up on. So that's it goes back to everything we've talked about, including the fact that these are microservices, which just makes things sort of worse. And I guess here there's also the once again the sort of the twofold version of it, right? When we talk about container security, one 
topic that often comes to mind when you run those containers is the fact that the containers run on a machine and many cloud services like AWS would have their security policies around which network slots are open or which VPC you're a part of be an aspect of the machine while the containers run on those and there's probably there's merit in them again in sort of security concerns and and that run today but there are once again shortcomings of the current ecosystem that's just adapting to it probably the bigger concern is in the changes that are here to stay which is the fact that now you have all these different microservices and to think about how they interact what happens when one of those services misbehaves you know what Type of exceptions might bubble up to the user or to the outside organization. You know, what type of network monitoring do you do to identify whether one of those comp- components were compromised? Actually, that's a huge opportunity again because suddenly you got infrastructure as code, and suddenly you got the person who developed the service sort of imply to you or even explicitly tell you depending on whether he's talking about the inbound traffic or the outbound traffic but he's sort of implying to you where each microservice might need to go and then if you baseline it correctly and you understand the orchestration mechanism then you have this new type of firewalling where you could instead of just looking at static or you know uh, FQDNs you suddenly Understand this is a service, he's trying to do one, two, and three. And if he's doing four, which doesn't necessarily translate into a, a different IP, maybe it's the same IP that you had before, but now it's a different host. Or maybe it's a new IP, but that's okay because it's talking to a microservice that it should talk to at this point. I mean, this actually presents a challenge and again, an opportunity for tooling companies and firewalling companies and security companies to create a Different type of firewall or, or a more elevated and, and container friendly type of firewall. Right. Each of these services now are much easier to understand. And if you understand them better because they're doing something much more pointed, then it's easier to differentiate right from wrong uh, Ab- and be able to, uh, to, to monitor it in the right way. Absolutely. That's exactly what we think. In Twistlock, and this is what uh, you know. Uh, we believe that the security world is actually going to revolve around that, about pure software and about understanding the developers when making the security decisions. Because now developers are actually telling you more, and you need to listen to that. Yeah, I think that's maybe where the communication needs to be indeed kind of start going the other way, right? In the Deployment process, the gates that have disappeared have now moved into the developers' hands. The developers now control what gets deployed, how it gets deployed, what tests run on it before it gets deployed. And that opportunity was lost in the gate, but you know, was sort of gained now in running these far better tests in a far more continuous and efficient fashion. Now that that's deployed, you know, security is never static. The fact you deployed something that you believed to be secure at the moment does not end your security work. Now you need to monitor these things in production, and that's where the information needs to come in the opposite direction. And again, like in DevOps, a lot of the concept is you know, if it moves, measure it. If it doesn't move, measure it in case it moves, right? And this notion of building operable software, you need to build, you know, it's probably not a word, but securable <laughs> software that has the right outputs. To enable a security professional looking and probably monitoring the system in production to distinguish right from wrong, just like they would a service that is, you know, just about to hit its capacity threshold and you're going to have an outage. 
Absolutely. And I see it as almost a thread that goes from the dev through uh, you know baking to staging all the way to production and it could go both ways and this is really the biggest change it, it's the big it's the change in development it's the change in IT it's the change in responsibilities it's the change in security and it's the whole opportunity for the ecosystem and specifically security absolutely so you know this is as a really good conversation you know thanks again for uh, sort of joining me in it I think it's amazing to me every time how often you come back to the analogies between the DevOps world and the uh, security evolution that needs to happen for us to sort of secure this world. Before we part, can I ask you, if you think about a development team or a DevOps team that is running right now and wants to improve their security poster, right? Wants to sort of up their game uh, in terms of how they handle security, what's your sort of top tip, right? What's your... Uh, the, the one thing you would suggest they, they focus on? So if I had to, to say one thing, I would say that you should really start designing security as early in the process of moving to DevOps as possible because you need to think about the tools and you want to put them in as, as soon as possible because it's much harder to you know implement changes in the process later down the road. So that's it's kind of sound uh, simple, but that's what you know all the people who implement best practices uh, have done that we've seen so far. Oh, that's a really sound advice, and also I guess containers give you an opportunity to do that because you're probably restarting or rethinking some processes. So, you know, that's your opportunity to build security in. Thanks a lot again, Ben, for uh, for joining us on the show. Thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity. I really appreciate it. That's all we have time for today. If you'd like to come on as a guest on this show or want us to cover a specific topic, find us on Twitter at the Secure Depth. To learn more about Heavybeat, browse to heavybeat.com. You can find this podcast and many other great ones, as well as over 100 videos about building developer tooling companies, given by top experts in the field. 